Welcome to the Marshall Pruitt Podcast. In part two, our My Racing Life and Career feature with team owner, motor racing executive, auto racing executive, ass kicker in charge, Beth Peretta. Get into part two here, continuing the story of going to work uh, as part of Fiat Chrysler's executive team move into the Dodge Viper championship winning Dodge Viper American Le Mans series slash IMSA program, which she oversaw it into Grace Autosport, her first attempt to field an IndyCar team and then move forward through this final hour of the conversation of Peretta Autosport and bringing what was originally this, this Grace concept of largely women racers proving that, hey, we are just as good, if not better, than any of the teams out there that are comprised of men. And seeing the continuation of this really come to fruition. So we recorded this a month or two before Peretta Autosports debut at the Indy 500, which I mentioned at the beginning of part one. Really happy to see that things went well for them. It was a struggle, but ended up having a very positive ending for Beth and her team, and they are certainly working on returning for year two, the Indy 500, as an entrant with Simona. So nothing but positives there. One overarching note for this part two episode, there's some emotional parts, in particular, maybe the second half of it. I will, I'm raising my hand right now saying there were some tears shed from your host, and uh, Beth certainly was having to fight back some tears on her end. It's just real conversation, real stuff. None of it was performative. Uh, we've had these conversations before privately. Uh, or, I don't know, privately sounds like there's some top secret thing about it. That's not true. But just sharing with you, I hope you enjoy this. She is a, a rich, rich person in terms of personality, insight, intelligence. Uh, this is a woman who has for many years done big things and continues to knock down any barriers when folks tell her, nope, can't do it. She is not the one to, well, she's actually the one to tell that because she's going to prove you wrong as she continues to do. So I hope you enjoy this close to this two-part My Racing Life and Career with Beth Peretta. Let's get going all courtesy of Cooper Tires. The Justice Brothers in TorontoMotorsports.com. Part of the the beauty of starting a race team from scratch or starting any team from scratch, starting a business from scratch, when you have a clean sheet of paper, you want to hire people based on their personality. It's not necessarily what they've done. I mean, you can teach skills and you can teach actual tasks. You need somebody who has the right attitude, the right aptitude, you know, aptitude to be able to learn attitude and personality type. And especially in a sports car team where you've got drivers sharing a car, you need drivers who can communicate to each other and communicate to the engineering staff. And you can't have a princess. I used to always say, listen, you know, when you walk into the transporter, notice that there's no hook for your tiara. So leave it at home. Mm. You know, I and there's something to be said for that. A lot of men reacted well to that, by the way. That's I, awesome. I used to say it all the time. In fact, uh, Bill Riley and I had this running joke, and this is why it was always funny to us, is... Um, so I had met Bill, Bill years before, but that, like now I'm in this role. And so he assumed that I was going to be like this very difficult. And I remember Matt and Gary even saying to me, like I'd have these early budget meetings and they're like, oh, here's this new marketing girl. And like we need to, and they needed to pass, you know, everything by me. 
And this is like in the planning stages of the Viper race team. So none of it, this is all behind the scenes and we're going over budgets and going over like uh, information about building the car. Funny enough, I was just reading the book Go Like Hell about Ford versus Ferrari at Le Mans. So how yeah. funny and timely about them building the, the Ford racing team in, in uh, you know, 64, 65. Anyway, um, they were leery as they should be because I've come in from the outside. What the hell do I know about racing? Oh, she's a girl which is not the way that they'd re- obviously react because all of these men that I've mentioned are absolutely like, you know, either have daughters, have wives, have, you know, like they, they, I'm saying that more facetiously. They're not that guy. But you can imagine, you know, I'm in from the outside, whatever. Oh God, what could, this could be a disaster. And early meetings when they're like, well, we're going to need this and we're going to need that. And I was like, no, absolutely. Like you need this, you need that. Do you have enough resource? You know, we need to beat Corvette which is sort of our, you know, that was our parallel of like Ford versus Ferrari. It was Viper versus Corvette. And, um, yeah, just letting them, let, letting their magic happen. And so we had this running joke and Bill and I w- would laugh about this. Like whenever like new people would join the team on the Riley side, there was this like shtick that I was like very temperamental and very difficult. Like don't look directly at me. Um, I insist that my Diet Coke be at 34 degrees. Mm. Um, which is obviously a joke because that's literally exactly the opposite of, which is why you can make the joke. Um, but with that said, uh, on the flip side, because we were such an easy group to deal with, um, it was like a no princess zone. And I think that's why you saw success quickly. That's pretty amazing. So the thing that I'm curious to learn about next beth and i also realize that we will probably You're gonna have to edit like an oh hour no out of this. no we're just talking look we're just yeah. talking and if people aren't keen on folks just talking and not being cut down to 15 minutes of, of quippy whatever uh right. not a problem uh this is free by the way so um there's that <laughs> right. as well it's worth the price of admission we will absolutely hopefully spend more time and drilling in deeper to uh, the SRT Dodge Factory program, but I want to transition here to program manager overseeing factory uh, effort here in sports cars to that winding down and you making the decision that you want to make a pretty interesting transition into another thing that would be new to you, and that is what about becoming an IndyCar team owner and starting my own team uh, Mm -hmm. with Grace Autosport. That, Mm -hmm. if we're talking pivot, that's a pretty strong... Does that seem ridiculous? Well, because I think the normal play would be, cool, let me go see what other brand I can go work for and do something similar. Right. Um, I'm at this tier. Let me stay at that tier and go find another manufacturer to run name, whatever brands racing stuff or, mar- or the other skills that you had as well. Right. That would be the expected play. Instead sure. you said, Oh no, let me do the thing that, that gives me, you know, aneurysms 12 times a day and right. uh, almost brings me to my knees. I want to start a independent racing team. There are no factory <laughs> IndyCar teams, right? I mean, there are stronger right, no. affiliations between some yeah. teams and others, but yeah. this is saying, I want to start a small business yeah. and do it in an arena where 
not a lot of these get started that last. Uh I mean, this is true. Yet another, holy crap, Peretta, you weren't taking the easy way out. Right. And when, when you put it that way, um, yeah, I mean, I, and I guess if you even look at like my little, uh, steps on my ladder, um, yeah, like when I was at Volkswagen group, I was in finance. I go to Aston Martin. I'm completely like, and when I say finance, it's banking. I was in banking and happens to have a touch to automotive, but it was like the banking that supports dealerships. I go to Aston Martin, I'm in operations, like everything that touches the dealer network. Then I go to SRT and it was branding and racing. So each of those steps, yeah, it's a car company, but literally each of those was completely different. Like if I, if I was at Volkswagen credit, I could have easily gone to like ally financial or, you know, uh, Toyota motor credit. That would have been the logical step. (laughs) (laughs) So, and if I'm at Aston Martin, I could have gone to Ferrari or Bentley or, you know, Tesla no, I'm going to go to a big three and I'm going to go from Aston Martin with your, you know, hello, with your little crystal key and your tea and scones. And then I'm going to sell muscle cars. Like none of that makes sense. Um, and that, that was quite a change, you know? Um, and, and, but you know, and I always find the common thread and it's finding the people that have the passion of whatever. And then I go from that to this. So yeah, on paper, could I have just stayed in that and gone to another car company? Sure. But I guess, I guess from the outside, it looks ridiculous. I guess from my perspective, I was always making changes that probably didn't make sense from the outside, but they made sense to me. The idea of the Indy 500 was brought to me by somebody else. Um, but again, I think I have this weird thing where it doesn't occur to me. <laughs> so like the fact that I have the ability to, to like, so the reason I met Michael Andretti, for instance, is because Ryan Hunter Ray was going to be our driver for Viper. And so we had this driver shootout at Texas Motorsport Park when we were doing this driver lineup. And uh, we settled on thinking that Ryan Hunter Ray would be a good fit for the program. And so I was talking to Ryan. I said, all right, I need to call Michael Andretti and ask him like, you know, whatever. So like, can you give me his number? So he gives me Michael Andretti's number and there's that moment of like, okay. And you know, like, so a couple days later, I'm in my office in Michigan and I've got to call Michael Andretti as you do. And believe me, every time that that, this happens, I'm like, what? Like, <laughs> I'm just a girl from Connecticut. Like, but okay, here I go. So I call Michael Andretti who couldn't have been lovelier, but of course I'm like, Hey, so I'm at the motorsport director at Fiat Chrysler and, uh, We'd like to talk to you about Ryan Hunter-Ray because of Viper program. And we'd like to have him be involved with our New York City launch because he's an American and it's a really great fit, blah, blah, blah. And I really want to have an American flag on the top of the Viper at the launch. And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's great. That's great. That's great. What are you guys doing with NASCAR? Because we had just announced the the end of the relationship with Penske. Yeah. And so then I'm like in the middle of this and boom, boom, boom. You know, here I am. So... I wind up getting this, forging this relationship with Michael Andretti. They wind up eventually like, you know, as you know, at the time, Andretti was like promoter of different events. They wind up being the promoter of the Baltimore Grand Prix because of that. So we went down the path of trying to bring Andretti in a, in a NASCAR story for another podcast. Um, the NASCAR story is like its own thing. So anyway, but I worked very closely with Michael and his crew during that year of, this is 2012. 
and had a great working rapport. And then boom, Baltimore Grand Prix is like maybe going to happen, maybe not going to happen, hanging on by a thread. 45 days before the race, I'm talking like, hey, like they're like, hey, do you, guys, do you have any interest in sponsoring? And I'm like, you know, I actually was at that race last year uh, in 2011. I thought it was a great race. Yeah, we'll sponsor it. So we wind up being the presenting sponsor of the Baltimore Grand Prix. So all of a sudden, I'm building this relationship with Michael Andretti and his crew. I already know Penske. Um, in my personal life, I got to know the Ganassi team um, because of uh, I, my then boyfriend was involved with the Ganassi team. So weirdly, I now have this very normal interaction with the Andrettis, the Penskes, <laughs> the Ganassis. They call her IndyCar Beth. Right. Yes. And I'm in pit lane and I have a hard card. And, but there, there was this kind of cool thing that happened, though, although some of the people in IndyCar met me in, in a different way, because all of a sudden I was a, I was a wag, um, right, uh, which is, I say that because it's funny. Um, but the reality is soon after they realized, oh, she's got a job in racing and this is what she does. Oh, okay. Like, boom, that doesn't matter. Now you're this. And so that was kind of cool. Like it didn't, it didn't define me. It was like, oh, let's talk about what's going on in the IMSA paddock or, or ALS paddock or whatever at the time. So what that did was, um, make, make me familiar and so therefore, when this opportunity came about, it didn't occur to me that it wasn't familiar. It didn't occur to, occur to me that IndyCar was any different than anything else I was doing. I'd been in NASCAR. I'd been in sports car. I love IndyCar. It's the same process. We all know it's the same process, you know, sponsorship, this, that, the other. Now, the reason why I launched into doing this stuff with Grace and building all that was here I was at a car company, and I knew where... I knew that because we, we were sp- effectively, yes, we're running the Dodge program with Penske, but you're effectively like a sponsor plus because you're, you're, you're a sponsor of the team. I'm not running the team, but we're a pretty integral sponsor because we're the OEM. But I could, you know, I could see how the business model of racing was evolving with media, with this, that, the other, like meaning television, viewership and whatever. So I'm seeing it very much in a business perspective the entire time. And I'm a business junkie and like I love solving business problems, but I also know car companies needed to have, they needed to have more value. And here I am a woman and I was like, all right, we can do more with this. And so that's why it never occurred to me that being an IndyCar was not a place for me to do my next step because these people were familiar to me and running a team was familiar to me. Running the commercial side was familiar to me. Let's put it together and also let's make something, let's make hay with it. That's why. And that's... But, but, but to hear you tell it, yeah, you're right, I should never have done it. Well, no, no, no. I'm, I'm just saying that this is one of those stepping off points where you go, yes, if you take full stock and accounting of your experience, you would say, okay, if we are doing the, creating a checklist or who's ready to start a racing team based on their uh, professional background, curriculum, education, and everything else, you go, yep, we got the finance, we got the marketing, we got the management, we got the, we got all of it. You had all those things, mm-hmm. but this is not necessarily something that you do while possessing all those things if you are risk averse. And right. that's simply because you're not coming into Grace Autosport 
as the wealthy daughter of Baron Von whomever, and you've got trillions to spend. You obviously were successful in the automotive industry, but even then, uh, even if you saved every penny you made, you're not going to survive a single season on the budgetary needs uh, for doing IndyCar. So you're having to go from a place of relative or comparative comfort and security Mm -hmm. to pardon my French and whatever else. Holy shit. I'm going to do this thing. And I don't have all the blankets that everybody would want starting a racing team. If they didn't have personal wealth, whatever it is to start it with. Right. That's the thing that I've always, if we're just talking credibility, right. That's a big part of the racers mindset and spirit. Spirit. All right. I got this passion. I want to do it. Right. I don't have half of what I need, but damn it, uh, faith and and personal security be damned. Here we go. That's well, the thing you, that stru- can, has always struck me, Beth. You can say that about any startup business, most startup businesses. Um, the entrepreneurial jump that people have to make. Not not every entrepreneur has every skill set that they need. So they need to know what they're good at, what they're not good at. They need to be able to know, it's like the make or buy. Do I outsource this? Do I have it internally? Do, how can I get good partners? Um, part of it ha- is having confidence in yourself and selling, you know, selling yourself. For the past, you know, you guys haven't all seen me for the past six years. You have, you know, you know what I've been up to. Um, so yeah, I made an announcement in 15 with an intention to run in 16. You know, I, I went underground for about a year after that because I was dealing with my father being in hospice and his passing and all that stuff that you do, like life stuff gets in the way. And when you're sort of a sole proprietor and you're the only one doing all of the work, when you have to take a seat and kind of just like, you know, sit down for, you know, sit on the bench for a little bit, it grinds to a halt. So then when I dusted it off, I'm back at it. But in, in these, you know, subsequent four years, I've been knocking on doors, on planes, back and forth, you know, meetings at Silverstone, meetings in Le Mans, meetings at, at OEMs, all these different, I mean, I've had so many, so many talks, uh, people positive about stuff, but I still think there was an element of like not quite getting it, uh, not quite seeing it. So about a year ago, I was like, all right, I got to stop explaining to people what I'm going to do because they're not quite getting it. Let me just build it and show them. And, and, you know, lead the horse to the water. And, um, so that's kind of where I got to a year ago and was, was starting on the path, literally a calendar year ago. But then because of COVID, I was like, oh, like, so by, by March, I'm like, all right, I'll shelve this because it, everything just was upside down. A lot of unknowns. And then a couple months later, when Roger announced the race for equality and change, I was like, all right, let me reach out to him because Roger had been a supporter from the beginning. We've had a great working rapport since 2007. So again, and this is where I, like I say, where I kind of like just distilled this for myself the other day of like, I've been fortunate to interact with, with people at high levels of the sport and then maintain those networks. And so then when I establish those relationships. And and not that I necessarily see them as my peer group. I don't mean it as, as, uh, you know, cavalier as that, but by maintaining those networks to then have that ability to pick up the phone. And just like Roger, just like Ralph Gilles was like, Hey, I want to pick your brain. Like I got to that point where I could then text Ralph Gilles and say, you know, years later, I I could text him right now and say, Hey, I want to pick your brain about something. Um, that having that network 
which I've been building for 20 years, you know, and allowed this all to finally fall into place. You had a goal of racing at the Indy 500 in 2015. I know that you announced the intent. I know that 2016 is where the, the focus shifted, but you Well, the announcement for 15 was for 16. Yeah. Because we announced in, in like literally like qualifying weekend of 15, about 16. You had serious aspirations of going and being there and having your program and having Grace Autosport uh, led by women, women racers from the driving standpoint, engineering, Catherine Crawford, and just right, mm-hmm. not saying that it was meant to be exclusive and, you know, excluding men, but this mm-hmm. was a really powerful initiative and ambition of yours you and i don't we were not going to talk about who it is but i know that there were some offers of support and assistance that Mm -hmm. had those offers been honored Mm -hmm. we would probably be talking about hey and in 2021 uh grace autosport is now in its fourth, fifth, mm-hmm. whatever, full season, mm-hmm. ass kicking, <laughs> you name it. And mm-hmm. look at all the accolades. Uh, I'm, sh- I'd like to go down this road as far as you're, as far as you are comfortable in full acknowledgement. Mm-hmm. We've discussed <laughs> this for many hours between ourselves mm-hmm. in private, mm-hmm. but you could have mm-hmm. had your first attempt at launching an IndyCar team under the Grace Autosport banner for mm-hmm. which you have been, eviscerated by every dickhead male on the planet uh, at that time mostly but right sure. failure and oh yeah gee, sure. right, what, oh, yeah, chicks right. and racing sure whatever right. this is a token thing it's not real sure you made this announcement you pushed this whole program uh into uh existence at least again the intent for it to happen based off of some very serious if these yes. commitments came through, no joke, you would yeah. have been contending for the win in your first Indy 500. I know we're not yes. going to talk about who made these commitments, but can you just speak to this in general? Because folks, I don't think realize this wasn't just a pipe dream that didn't pan no. out. Thank you for uh, bringing it up the way that you did, because the the reality is, um, for the peek behind the curtain is you were well integrated the entire time because of when it went off the rails, I then was on a wild, wild goose chase to put it back together. Uh, it was like a bit of Humpty Dumpty. Right. And, um, one of the great things about you, Marshall and some other key players is because of your role of being a journalist, you tend you have your ear to the ground. So you know where, you know, you're always shaking trees. So you know kind of what the landscape is. So in many ways, you are a, a, an, an invaluable resource to me during that time. Um, because also full disclosure, you, you got it. You understood what I was trying to do. And you also saw kind of a rising tide lifts all boats idea that, Hey, this is good for the sport. And you saw it early. Um, the, the easy thing I can say between 2015 and now, is I think we were ahead of the curve. And I say we, we'll say I, um, 
I was talking about this all this women's initiative and getting more women to be visible in motorsport because of where it why that's valuable and where it goes of the idea of capturing the imagination of kids. Let's get them into these technical careers and let's just try to, you know, get somebody to go get a mechanical engineering degree and go work for Boeing. This isn't about just getting people on the grid of IMS. There's a much larger reach there, which I was, that was my perspective having, now I'm working for one of the big three. I, I, that's, you know, my landscape and kind of just extrapolating that. So yeah, to lift the veil on what was actually happening, I had um, I had talked to both Honda and Chevrolet. Both were supportive. I had talked to major teams, um, some who I might have mentioned previously. I had great relationships and do have great relationships with many of the teams who saw me as a professional in racing. And so I could get those meetings and those sit-downs. Um, there was a unique thing in 2016 as a reminder, there was this weird contraction that was happening among teams. You had, you know, where you could have had, um, teams were, were, uh, tying up that, that was actually when you had the, the Herda Andretti tie up, um, Ganassi to put it in perspective, uh, had four full-time cars, three or four t- full-time cars. They were getting ready to go to Le Mans. So where they would potentially could could have even run like a fifth car, they were not that year because the manpower wasn't there. There were all these interesting things that just were happened to converge in that year, meaning it affected everybody. It didn't affect us any differently. That was the circumstance. With that said, um, HPD, Honda, and Chevrolet both gave me an engine agreement, which again, as a startup team, Highly unusual to say, we're going to give you financial assistance possibly, or we're going to give you some extra support here that's, you know, like kind of an in-kind support. I mean, this wasn't just like, you know, Joe Smith from the middle of wherever, just like, hi, I'd like to be an IndyCar team. You know, here's full retail for everything. No, no, there were some major players that were trying to at least help full get validation. us off the ground. Yep. Yes, and none of that, of course, was made public at the time because it wasn't the, the time. It wasn't appropriate to say all that stuff out loud. You wouldn't say that stuff out loud in that time. But the fact remains that all of those things are true, um, and those were va- those were validating things. Which is why it might have looked from the outside like this girl's crazy. Oh no, no, <laughs> no. There were things all in place. The 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 condensed version is going into Long Beach. Long Beach is middle of April. We were going to have a press conference announcing our tie-up with a team. I still have the shirts, Marshall, that are embroidered with the logos of Grace Autosport, Verizon IndyCar Series at the time, Chevrolet. And two days before the uh, press conference, three days before, I mean, it was booked. It was the Friday of Long Beach weekend. I mean, you could, you could look back at the calendar. Anybody who's got the media calendar, we had, you know, it's there. And um, on the Wednesday before Long Beach, the uh, team that I was going to be working with changed the ter- tried to change the terms of the agreement that I had. And I said no, because it wasn't, it was unfavorable. And listen, does that happen in racing? Yes. Should it happen? No, but it does. And it wasn't, you know, was it maybe a little gender bias at that point by, by the person I was talking to? Maybe, but he might have misunder, 
he underestimated, let's just say, he might have underestimated what was at play. Anyway, okay, fine. He's like, I want to change the terms of the deal instead of this. I want it to be this. And I was like, nope, I've got partners. I've got everything in place. This is not what we agreed. Boom, we're going we're gonna to part ways, mon frere. So now it's, it's uh, you know, seven weeks before the Indy 500. Now I've got an engine, a driver, and money. And in fairness, the guy that ter- changed the terms of the deal, he thought that he could get more money elsewhere. What he didn't do is say, hey, Beth, I might have this other opportunity. You don't have any more money, do you? Because here's the funny thing. I had a lot more money in my back pocket, which I, of course, didn't, you know, you, like any negotiation, you're going to, you know, but it, it wasn't presented to me in that way. It was, we're going to do this, but we can do this instead. And I was like, that's not the deal. You know, if it was just like, hey, Beth, do you have an extra X amount of money? I could have been like, yeah, yeah, I've got that. But that was not even an, op- that was not even made an opportunity to me at the time. So, okay, fair play. He goes his way, I go mine. Well, now I'm, I'm in a bit of a, um, I'm up against the clock. Who's I need got to a find truck? That. Who's got a who's chassis? Got a, who's got who's a truck? Got a... Who's got a chassis? Who's got a car? And that you may remember. I remember pacing. I was at Long Beach and I was outside of what's that Greek restaurant at Long Beach? Yeah, I know the one you're talking about. I was outside because I just had a nibble of a lamb chop because you have to have the lamb chops. If you go to Long Beach Grand Prix, <laughs> everybody, if you, you have to go, listen, at the time, Catherine Legg was kind of dabbling at being a vegan, but she still had the lamb chops. Um, because they're that good. So anyway, I remember being out on the sidewalk and I was on the phone with you and it was this whole fudge. This is what's just happened. And you knew in real time. And I said, I need to find another goddamn car (laughs) and another team. And what can we do? And, um, and then I remember talking to Paul Fanner because again, you guys, you know, you guys have your ear to the ground, you know, we're all, you know, where everybody, you know, where all the bodies are buried, you know, where all the stuff is stacked up. And, um, I can say now, uh, you know, who stepped up to help was Rob Dyson. Um, and it was funny because, uh, I go through the weekend, I'm having a million conversations, the mad dash at Long Beach. I have done so many times where it's the knocking on you know, motor homes or whatever and, and paddock doors and say like, okay, can, can I talk to you about, you know, and that's when everybody, that's when a lot of the last minute deals get done, right? You always see drivers running around and uh, team owners trying to do those last minute Indy car deal, Indy 500 deals. Anyway, I wound up going to talk to Rob Dyson, but we couldn't coordinate until we got to, we both got to LAX on Monday morning. And I was literally, we're like departing from like adjacent gates and I'm standing in LAX and I, and I, you know, connect with Rob Dyson and he's like, what the hell's going on? I mean, I'm like, I, I could bleep all of this, but he's like, or, or, or just say, I? just let it go. He's like, what the fuck? He's like, what the fuck? He's like, it's seven weeks to go. What the-? I go, yeah, no fucking kidding. Like, this is what I had. This is the deal I had. And this is how it just got freaking screwed up. And he's like, Jesus Christ. And he's like, what if we call Delara? Do you think we could buy a chassis? I was like, let's call Delara. And we literally called Delara. And Delara's like, we don't have a, uh, we don't have a chassis ready to go. And I was like, what? How do you not have a chassis? Re-? So what had happened in, the, in 2015 is a couple of teams had like tubbed. There were, there were just some chassis. There was like this attrition. And... Teams were not deep in spares. And that, because that's what I was trying to do was just like, can you at least rent me your spare? And the reality is there was a shortage of spares. So if you're Roger Penske running four cars, 
and you've got however many spares, let's say you've got three or four spares, you don't want to spare a spare because it's getting dicey, right? And if you're Andretti running five cars and you've got three spares, like you can't, you can't, right? So it was just this constraint. And then the other thing that you get told as well, and you know, others have heard the same thing in this Delara DW12 chassis, uh, boy, these things are unicorns in terms of rarity uh, section is the no, we're we're not going to be able to let you lease a spare car from us. Right. But if we make it into the show and qualify on Saturday, then we might be able to let you use the spare on Sunday for the final day of qualifying, at which right. point you go, just so we're clear, I would have zero practice with my new team and driver. Uh, right. if, you ma- if you make right. it in, you might let me have it the following day to do some right. crazy bonsai thing to get in. Right. Nobody signs up for that as well. It's like there's all these sort of qualifiers to the conversation, and it's like, okay, none of this is good business. Um, so I was standing in LAX with Rob Dyson and we're like, all right. And of course now bless Rob Dyson. He's now like a man on a mission. He's, he's awesome. like, we're going to solve this. He's, so he's awesome. awesome. The minute he's he so- heard my wife got was sick. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, seriously, it, the phone, it's just, I'm, I may as well have bought a second phone and just yeah. named it Rob because oh. he was so whatever I can do where you need to talk to this yeah. person, get a second opinion over here. I got my guy there. And like, again, just, and That's he and I've known each other for a while, but right. this was just, but not in that way. Yeah. Right. And here's Rob, I think see, similar kind of spirit within, with, within him demonstrated with you. Here is something that needs to be made right. I might have the ability to, in some way, how do I attack this hardcore to get you to a place where you're good? Like, that's a beautiful thing about Rob. He just, that's just the way that he's wired. And it was exactly that he saw that. Not that I was taken advantage of because it wasn't that because obviously I wasn't, I mean, mean, whatever we can call it or whatever we want to call it. But he was like, that shouldn't have happened. Like that was bullshit. And I was like, yep, that was bullshit. And yeah, it just, he just jumped into, he jumped into helper mode. And, um, and obviously like though we all have those, hopefully we all have those people in our lives or those moments in our lives. And there were a lot of people through that, those, those next seven weeks that showed a lot of kindness. And I absolutely remember who all of them are. Um, and as you can imagine, when this announcement happened with, with this, the new team, um, a lot of those people came out of the woodwork to say like, ah, like it was kind of in fairness, like they all kind of carried a little bit of that too, right? They carried a little bit of the, the, the interest and passion to get it off the ground. So seeing that it's actually now happening, like rightfully, I hope that they own a little bit of like, ha ha, there it is. That's great to see. So anyway, yeah. Um, on the wild goose chase to try to find, cause now I have, um, so just to show you, yeah, because you remember this, you may remember this. So I had a Chevy deal. But at the time, so I was looking for Chevy teams to pair up with. But that, it, it, this is like a game of musical chairs. So where are the open chairs? And then as you then are seeing that, like, nope, that's, you know, somebody just got that deal or somebody's in that car, like that closed, that closed, that closed. Then it became... Well, I also have an offer from Honda, which they had like, right. Like both Honda and Chevy gave me, um, the opportunity to work with them. Um, I just happened to, to side with Chevy at the time because the, the support that they had put together was just a little bit more robust. 
But now we're at the 11th hour. And literally Chevy said to me, just get on the grid. If you have to take a Honda engine and put, put it together with a Honda team, just get on the grid. Don't worry about it. We'll work it out later. And that's, I, I just want to hit the little bookmark here. Yeah. Uh, a lot of the folks on the GM racing, Chevy racing side, uh, they're not by and large spotlight people. They're not nope. folks looking for microphones and me, me, nope. me, right? That's not the culture there. No. Um, we, we can run down the list. I know that Mark Kent has, has moved on to a different yep. role, but Mark Kent, long time kind of head of, of motor racing there. Jim Campbell as well. Mm-hmm. We can Jan Thomas um, mm-hmm. back in the day. She's an ass kicker as well. But mm-hmm. a lot Mark of, Royce. Yeah, Mark Royce, obviously. There's a lot of people at GM who are not always, again, frontline, headline people because that's not what they are pursuing. Mm-hmm. But that should never be mistaken for them not uh, mm-hmm. beating the drum Getting and pounding it. their chest. They are yep. so hardcore racers to say mm-hmm. to you as they did, if that's what you got to do, Beth, do it. Yeah, that's not something. And I would that, I'd that like to believe. That doesn't happen. Just to put that in perspective for your listeners, that doesn't happen. And I'd like to believe Honda would do that. I'm sure Honda would do the same thing. 100%. So it's not so, yeah, one pitting one against so the other. But no, it's just, no, 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 no. Meaning an OEM wouldn't do that. Is exactly, you're exactly right. Thank you for saying that. No, no, OEMs don't do that normally. Um, but it was Mark Kent who said that. But exactly that, because they saw the value as being larger, as did HPD. So then, and in fairness, I was having the conversations with, you know, with TE and Art St. Cyr from HPD. And then it was like, okay, guys, I am in, you know, we're in a jam here. And so, of course, they're like, yeah, absolutely. And keep in mind, there's a finite amount of engines. So it was kind of like going, like, you know, you still have, yep, we got one. We've got one squirreled for you. Okay, yeah. Um, so then, because part of it had to do with, um, it was matching to the team that was going to help operate us because listen, even Penske had said to me in 2015 that even if I had a Honda deal, that he was still going to figure out a way to help run us. And I was like, no, 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 I'm not going to ask you (laughs) to help me set up. Yeah. Yeah. That was an early conversation at 15. I said, no, no, I'm only coming to you. If I have a Chevy deal, if I have a Honda deal, I'll talk to a Honda team. And he's like, okay, okay, that's fine. So here we are now in 2016, five weeks out to the 500. So like, three weeks out to needing to be on the track. And I say to Honda, like, okay, let's, again, it's, it's always the, it's the running list. Like you, all your, all the fans and a lot of the, you know, journalists are always looking at like, how's that grid? What's the 33 look like or 35 or whatever? Well, it's, there's always that running list. Robin Miller's got the list. You've got the list. It's hearing like where things are falling into place. So then it was, uh, okay, figure out if I've got a Honda engine, who's got a Honda chassis, who's the team. Um, and so at that point, Dyson's like, we'll run it. I've got guys, we can run it. And, um, there was, there was, there weren't any chassis. This was the thing. There weren't any cars. So I have an engine, I've got people, I've got money, I've got a driver. There's just no car. And there were a couple of us that were in this situation. So it's just like, and I remember, gosh, who the hell was I talking to? But like, I mean, talking to Jay Fry and talking to everybody like where, you know, and someone's like, well, I heard that there's maybe this one chassis. I mean, talking to Mike Hall from Ganassi. Cause this is a thing, Marshall is, I had that network. And so I could pick up the phone and call Mike Hall. I could pick up the phone and call JF Thorman at Andretti. Um, 
or Michael or talk to Tim Sendrick when I was at Barber. And, and they all, and they all treated it absolutely seriously. Of course. It was just like, who the hell has a car? Who the hell? Okay. You've got an engine, you got this, you got that. Yeah. So like every, so for what it's worth, yeah, there could be a cowboy, you know, a keyboard cowboy sitting at his house. God bless. Knock yourself out. Everybody in the paddock was taking it seriously. Everybody at the series, everybody at Chevy, everybody at Honda. Oh God. Like there was no, like these are phone calls and, 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 you know, conversations in paddocks of, Hey, we heard that there's one at this shop. We heard there's one, like everybody was at the end. Everybody was helping. It took a village. I remember, I think the final straw and I could be, obviously I could be wrong. I think the final chassis straw was the car Sebastian Saavedra last drove owned by Gary Peterson of AFS racing, having partnered the previous year to use the car with chip Ganassi. The Ganassi team always does their best to make sure a car is in fine shape mm-hmm. when it goes back to whomever, if they're mm-hmm. running it on behalf of somebody, but mm-hmm. Gary had not chosen to have them do the full postseason prep service mm-hmm. and freshening of everything. So when that car was kind of the last, maybe I think the last option it was, it's there in like Eric Bachelard's conquest racing shop, mm-hmm. but all the uprights are, are ragged, the mm-hmm. bearings and here, like the car needs a full, full top to bottom, uh, refurb and prep. And I don't mm-hmm. know if we have the time. We don't have the time to actually that, do that. Then go do the 500. That is true. And there's one more layer. That is a hundred percent true. The last shop I went to was Eric Bachelor's shop. Um, and I was able to get Robert Clark was in town from longtime HPD person was, went there and, um, a, there, there, we were able to round up a bunch of people to look at the car that, that were, cause I'm not, I'm not, you know, I'm not, uh, versed enough to, to in, in, inspect a chat, you know, inspect a chassis. So we assembled a team to, to meet at bachelor art shop on a Saturday to go look at this last car. And yeah, you're right. I think, unless I'm mixing my metaphors here, but the point of this particular car, so you're probably right. If you remember that nugget, um, it was there and it had, yeah, it had unknown. A lot of the parts were of unknown. Yeah. Uh, that was unknown the thing. mileage. That was so it. what you do, you know, in racing, obviously anytime you're taking a, you're getting a car from somewhere else, you dismantle it. You, you inspect all the parts and you reassemble it. That's a normal thing that we all do. But normally there's uh, copious records of, of all the parts and anything that is, uh, is at its mileage limit or is unknown is replaced because again, this is a safety issue. So, okay, that's fine. So going to see it, this is like maybe the last, again, hidden unicorn in a shop that somebody knows about, that somebody's told somebody about. So we, I drive down there to go look at it and I assemble this group of people that were very kind to go look at it with me. And yeah, you say, okay, we, we know that it needs this much rebuild. And it then is, can we get all the parts in time? And of course, Dyson is like, we're at the ready. He's going to fly in his guys. We've got shop space. We've got the people, the manpower, the facilities. But at this point, you're, you're relying on third parties to get uh, the suppliers. You're getting parts. 
Tim Sindrick, I remember at the time too, there was an issue about getting like waste gates for the engine and Sindrick's like, we'll put you in on our order to get like, like when I say it took a village, there were, I wow. mean, yes. And I remember that again, like you always remember the kindness. And I remember getting that email from Tim Sindrick, like, let us know, we'll put you in on our order. And I was like, oh my God. Right. So anyway, when we looked at that chassis in that garage, and this is something that I've I don't speak about. We figured out that it was the car that was at Pocono that Sage was driving. And to put it in perspective, my father was in palliative care about to go in hospice care. I was dealing with another personal challenge. It's separate that I'll, t- I'll speak on another time. Yeah. The, we'll we'll I have save been, that for another time. Yeah. I have everybody in the IndyCar paddock helping me, kindly helping me, people outside of the IndyCar paddock, the Rob Dysons, you, everybody. And when we saw the chassis number and I realized that it was that car, I said, no, it, um, that's not how we're going to start this. And I, I respect it and I respect everybody's work. And I, I just looked at these three men that had come there to look at this car on my behalf to help me. And somebody looked in at the chassis number and said, oh, this is the car that Sage was driving at Pocono in 2015 because this is May of 2016. And my eyes got big. And I said, okay, we're done here. Thank you, gentlemen. But that's not, that's not an option for us. Thank wow. you. Wow. And, um, and I, I got my car. Part, Beth, I didn't know that part. Wow. I haven't told people that, Marshall. And so I got in my car and I had five hours to drive home. And I reconciled with, I'm pulling the plug and we're not going to run. And I'm going to catch holy hell for this. No one else is. Catherine's not. Adrian, her manager, isn't. I am. But that's okay, because it's the right decision. Because I'm not going to put her in an unsafe car. And I'm not going to start this journey that way. And so for everybody that criticized, I understand. They didn't know. And everybody's, you know, entitled to their opinion and certainly entitled to criticize. And please tell me, tell me what you did when you put your IndyCar on the grid. <laughs> Mr. Keyboard Cowboy, tell me about your journey when you did that. And, and when you do, yeah, we can, we can sit and we can have a, we can have a, a, a nice, uh, you know, make lunch your at the YouTube mo- videos and tell us. Right, all you can your, have your YouTube videos and do your hand wringing, and we and but but seriously, once you've done it and you've had a car on the grid at the Indy Five Hundred, we can sit and have a, a nice meal at the Mug and Bun. Um, but yeah, so my point is, in a big full circle, you never know what somebody's dealing with, and it's easy to sit and throw stones, but take a second, take a breath, lead with empathy. You don't 
have all the facts. And if you did and saw what we were going through in 2016 and how many people were helping, yeah, we didn't make the grid in 2016 because of my choice. Could we have done it? Sure. So you know what? Was it all on my shoulders? Yeah. If I had to do it over again, would I make the same decision on that Saturday morning? Absolutely. Why? Because it was the right decision. Because I'm not going to put any driver of mine in an unsafe scenario. And I'm not starting out that way. Well, that's... So it wasn't right. I took some time off. I, re- I recalibrated. I regrouped. And now, Peretta Autosport, Simona Di Silvestro, brand new fresh car, windscreen, Indy 500. Team Penske, Chevrolet. Team Penske, Chevrolet. Yeah, you suck, Peretta. You, you, you couldn't do nothing. You failure. Please. You failure, you. You, you quack. <laughs> you charlatan. So listen, we're going to stumble. You got me tearing over here. What are you doing, See? Peretta? Stop we're, it. I mean, listen, we're going to stumble. And, yes. you know, we're going to, and that's why people coming out of the world are like, hey, we'd like to do a documentary. or what? Yeah, absolutely. I'd love that. But make sure it's a documentary series because you're going to see a stumble. There's a new team. No new team has success right out of the gate. Yeah. Do we, am I, do I have the luxury of, of having some nice people in our corner and, and hopefully the series and other teams? I've gotten the loveliest notes from, you know, Bobby Rahal and, um, you know, the, the folks at Andretti. And I, I heard that Michael said some nice things on, on their uh, announcement the other day. These are all of us. One of the, you know, the, some of the, the drivers have reached out. We all know that um, making that any new team to the sport is great. Bottom line, doesn't matter, you know, listen, and also we're a race team. We're not a lady race team. Simona Di Silvestro is a racing driver. She's not a lady racing driver. Stop. We're just here. Doing Peretta-like things. Okay, so. Racyfastcar.com. Yes, yes, uh, .org. All right, so let's, org. let's close on this and keep. we'll keep this brief because it's yep. a crazy late hour for you and sure. yeah. you probably need to get a couple more bullet bourbons going too um, oh my god and, and there's emails. a lot obviously i've not- been shot out of a can in the past two weeks with all this stuff as you can imagine it's been lovely and the the um the the everybody coming out of the woodwork has been lovely and i've been so humbled by just the kind you know you're a racer kind, you're being received well, as a racer by racers yeah so it's right. supposed to work so we've got some more stuff to talk about and we're going to visit with some more things. We're going to drill deeper into the formation of Peretta Autosport. We'll do some separate stuff there, podcast, written form, whatever, as we get closer, or I shouldn't say closer, as we continue marching towards Indy 500. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know this, I mean, hell, let's just, let's get the last couple tears out while we're here. You had me like having to take some, you didn't know that I was having to take a deep breath or two in a conversation we had a couple weeks ago mm-hmm. um, when we were talking about the team name oh, yeah. and I asked you, Hey, Grace Autosport, why aren't we talking about Grace Autosport? And you gave, you shared an answer and yeah. it's connected to your brother and your last name and lineage yeah. that if you're comfortable sharing that story, <laughs> I just, it, it, it's beautiful. Yeah. Oh, it's beautiful. thank you. And you know what? I got to say, kindly, IMS just posted something today, which is so amazing to see. But yeah, so um, so Grace Autosport still exists. It's the stuff that I do off the track. And, and the reason I kind of, I, I decided to make the pivot is 
I started doing stuff with like the, in the IMSA paddock and working with schools and this and that. And I don't want to change that. But the reality is I want to be able with grace and the grace autosport idea of, of girls, getting girls interested in racing, getting girls interested in STEM. Uh, but I want other teams to help support it and other series to help support it because that's where the reach is. That's how you reach kids. So it's like, okay, if I separate these, I can do more with it. So then the idea came, okay, so then what does the race team get called? And of course, Roger's like, you, you know, rightfully Roger Penske's like, you know, call it, you know, Pareto Autosport, Pareto Racing or whatever, you know, he, whatever he, we were batting around. And I will say, and then I was like, I don't know about that. And then I started thinking about it. And then, um, you know, I started kind of talking through it and, um, reality is, um, so here I have this lovely family, this, this lovely immediate family, uh, who have, who are gone. My mom and dad and my brother are gone. But one of the things that I had always known is the Peretta family name. So yeah, we're from the, my dad's side is Italian. My mother's side is Polish, but we are from, um, an area in Italy called Caserta. It's outside of Naples, between Naples and Rome. And, um, Interestingly, too, my my from my dad's side, the other family name on, on the, his maternal line of the Italian side is La Marca. So, if you guys enjoy La Marca Prosecco, it's actually my family, um, which I think of every time I see it. I think, oh God, wouldn't they be a great sponsor on wow. the car? Yeah. So, anyway, with that said, Peretta. So, family name, and my brother was the last person in my family all my cousins, aunts and uncles with the family name. And I remember learning that as a kid, that Michael, my brother was the last one. And when he died, that was the end of the bloodline. And as a young girl, that resonated with me. And not that I knew what it would mean or what I would do with it, but it was just something that I heard. And it was something that always kind of just sat with me. And um, when I thought about naming the team, and somebody suggested to me, you know, you really shouldn't. In fact, when we were naming Grace, my agency is like, you know, you've got a really cool name. It should be your, I was like, ah, no, no, no. You know, just, I don't know why. And in, in fairness, it happened the right way because Grace is broader, right? So it's good that we did it the way that we did. But here I am now and um, I have this opportunity to, to, and now my dad's gone. And I said, okay, you know what? Yeah, because this is a way that I could honor my family because I'm not my, I'm not who I am without my family and they're not here in person to see it, but let me do this to honor them. And so that's why it became Pareto Autosport. And honestly, Marshall, when, um, you know, we worked at the agency to mock up the logo and I was like, oh my gosh. And then we had, um, Simona is in Zurich. And so we made the decision that for the press conference, she was going to be remote. We actually were going to fly her in, but obviously with everything being a little crazy, it was like, you know what, it's just as easy to do it remotely now with Zoom and for her safety, let's just do it remotely. So because we were knowing that it was going to be remote, I had to have her um, in the the team kit, right? So uh, we sent the logo files and she actually had her pieces made locally in Switzerland, which is hilarious instead of us, because I looked at making them and like FedExing them over, which you know, let's pay another thousand dollars to just ship something to Zurich. <laughs> so luckily her manager, Antia, who's lovely, was like, we could just have them made here. I'm like, yeah, that would be a lot smarter. Thank you, Antia, for, uh, you know, thinking for the rest of us. So we sent the logo files and uh, they had the stuff made up. And as a surprise, they had the little hat made. Because I said, I was like, hey, take some pictures outside because obviously she's Swiss. Let's get the, you know, it's snowy, it's gorgeous. So they did. They sent me like these like five or six photos that they did as this little photo shoot. 
And um, I opened up the files. And again, one of those moments in my life, I open up this file to see a picture of Simona Di Silvestro, okay, in a jacket with my name on embroidered on the logo. And I, I mean, what, how is all of this happening? And it, it took my breath away. I was like, she is wearing a shirt, a, a jacket with my, my name on it. My name, what's my name? I have no business being on it. That's Simone Di Silvestro. And, um, I've had a lot of those moments in the past two weeks. And you know what? I'm going to ideally have a lot more than between now and May. But then when we were at the, uh, the press conference, we had this wonderful press conference. The same thing. There's like the backdrop between the, behind the dais. And it's like, you know, this freaking enlarged, you know, name. And it's, uh, it's, it's amazing to see it, right? And then uh, after the press conference, we went outside to do a photo shoot. And we had the, the logo up in Victory, you know, Victory Circle. And there's Roger standing underneath my name, right? What? And then um, they very kindly at IMS lit up the pylon. And uh, yeah, I, I might have I cried a little bit when I saw that because it's like, you know, these little moments. Because honestly, I'm just, I've, like I said, I've been shot out of a cannon. I've got a lot of work to do. I've been busy, busy, busy. But then you have that moment of like, wait, hang on. My name is on the pylon. So that was a moment. And all I thought of was like, if my mom and dad or my brother could see that. What would they think? Honestly, they would shrug me like, of course, (laughs) you know? So there was my mom from timing and scoring. Did she ever think that, you know, our last name would be on the pylon at IMS? Probably. (laughs) No, it's insane. And so these, you know, this, this is a chance of a lifetime. And, um, I'm well aware of that. I'm well aware of that. And I will say I'm uncomfortable about it being my name because, there's a million people behind me. Marshall, you helped me try to find cars in 2016. I, I hope that all of you see yourself in that too. You helped me get here, all of you. Don't be silly. I'm not comfortable with it being my name, but I just as long as everybody knows there's a million people behind me, I'm standing on the shoulders of a ton of people. It just, it just happens to be my name. That's all. Well, as someone hey. who wanted to direct documentaries about other people's lives, I right. think I can say, pal, you've done a pretty damn good job of directing yours. Thank so, you so much. We got more to talk about. We uh, do. It's a documentary I'm, series. I'm, it's a marathon, not a sprint. Yes. Uh, we're going to look to see if Kleenex might be a sponsor of yours because oh uh, we got more stuff right? to talk I'm about and I'm just wobbly, a big old but... mess as usual. Yeah. But <sighs> Peretta, you're well, awesome. You, know, um, you are, Marshall. I appreciate you and I appreciate what you're doing and I appreciate that you don't let stupid people uh, who know far less than you, whether <laughs> it is on social media, sitting right. in their mom's proverbial basement right. uh flapping their Sponsored gums by Mountain Dew. yeah whatever um that's no where that i don't strength... even see them it's funny it, i saw i saw this great and i'm totally gonna mangle this but i saw this like meme or quote the other day and it wasn't obviously it wasn't about me it was something but, but broader it said when you criticize women in power they don't hear you but your daughter does yeah 
So think about that. Like, listen, and, and you could say that, uh, and that, that's not, not just a woman thing. That's a criticizing anything. There's people that are wired in life and you, we all learn this. You could be criticizing anything, but the, you're probably crit- criticizing everything. Like, you know, if you're, if you're a difficult customer at, at my place of business, you're a difficult customer at the dry cleaner. You're a difficult customer at CVS. You're, you're just a difficult, co- you're, you're, you're the guy at the, at the post office who's difficult. That's just how you're wired. Just so you know, we don't see you. We're too busy getting stuff done. So you can throw all the stones you want. And I get it. Like, and again, I'm not, I'm not saying people shouldn't criticize. Keep people honest and, and critical thought is good. But there's a way to do it. There's a way to do it in a constructive way. And, and opinions are valuable. I mean, anyone will tell you, anyone that I, you know, I've, I've, I've managed a lot of teams, I've, I've managed people, I'm collaborative. Tell me the flaws. Tell me the, the landmines. I, I, I'm going to solicit your perspective. For sure. I I want to hear your opinion, but you can do it in a polite or kind or respectful way. Sure. Life's too short. Life's too short. If you want to be mean, and again, what you think of me, that's not my business. That's yours. That's fine. Taking us to school, Beth Perez. Taking us to school. All right. Yeah, I don't don't hear you, man. I'm too busy getting shit done. (laughs) It's just a fact. I love it. Right. My friend, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, um, sir. And that was part two of Beth Peretta, My Racing Life and Career, closing this two-part feature using this ended up unknowingly, quote, saving this. Uh, meant to use it in May, but uh, using this to close out the year and hopefully over the uh, new year holiday break, even leading into the new year, hopefully uh, some of you will use this to just learn more about a fascinating character who is doing big things and doing important things that will certainly shape what the Indy 500 and IndyCar racing looks like in the future. All right. I am Marshall Pruitt. This is our Marshall Pruitt podcast brought to you by Cooper Tires, the Justice Brothers, and TorontoMotorsports.com. Thank you for listening.